Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Arcane Academy podcast. I'm your host, Marcus K. Ironwood, coming at you with another interview that I did at this year's uh, 2019 Paganicon here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, this time I had the uh, great pleasure of sitting down with Jason Mankey to discuss his new book, Transformative Witchcraft. If you haven't already read the book, I highly, highly recommend it, uh, especially if you're interested in some of the bigger uh, rituals that can be found in Wicca or other witchcraft traditions. Uh, even if you aren't working in a group, he does offer and go into detail in how to do the uh, do big rituals like the Kona power or drawing down the moon or even the Great Rite, which you'll hear about in the interview, uh, in smaller groups or even by yourself. Uh, so I really, really recommend picking it up. It does such a great job of covering those topics in a really down-to-earth way. And that is how he comes across. I hope you hear that in the interview. It, he is just really humble, really down-to-earth, plain-spoken, and it was a real joy uh, to sit and chat with him for a half an hour. Unfortunately, I was not able to attend his his workshop on the Great Right. It would have been really uh, interesting and fun to sit in that room. Uh, I had a panel of my own to moderate at that time on uh, the pagan experience, LGBTQ plus experiences in different pagan traditions, uh, which also turned out to be a very good panel. Uh, we really created a, a great sense of community, even intergenerational community in that room. Uh, it was standing room only and I left feeling so humbled and that like I had done a very good thing. So uh, with that being said, if you haven't uh, attended Paganicon in Minneapolis, get your tickets now. It's going to sell out. It's bigger than it's ever been. It keeps growing every year. And every year we've been selling out the hotel and having to find newer, bigger locations. It easily could be a four-day event. Um, it's always the weekend of the spring equinox. And it's just so much fun. It's fantastic. There's always great presenters and workshops, musicians. It's a wonderful weekend. Um, and everyone really feels a great sense of community and power and it's a, such a great time. I will absolutely be there this upcoming year in 2020, tabling with Magus Books, and who knows, uh, Swamp Witch Stephanie might make an appearance. So that's my little plug for Paganicon 2020. I'm sure you'll hear about that several times between now and the spring. Again, get your tickets now if you're at all interested. It's going to sell out. It's going to be amazing. Sit back, grab a cup of tea, and enjoy this interview with the fantastic Jason Mankey. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Arcane Academy podcast. I am here again at Paganicon 2019 with yet another fabulous guest. With me in the uh, makeshift studio is Jason Mankey. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. Are you having a good con so far? No, it really hasn't felt like it started yet. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, for us, we, we're on West Coast time. So oh, okay. We sleep in a little later than we probably should. And then we had to make a grocery store run. Oops. Yeah. It's for the best, though. So I wanted to talk about your new book. That is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'm really proud of it. 
And, you know, you read reviews and sometimes people hate your work and sometimes people love it. So you're not really sure <laughs> if it's any good or not. But well, I mean, as a, as a work of art or creative thing, mm -hmm. like obviously you should love it because of what it is. But I think anyone. Well, first off, the, the title of it is uh, Transformative Witchcraft. And it's fantastic. It's about the, the transformative rituals that accompany some more uh, ritual based witchcraft practices. Well, I know that in my own experiences, there have been a couple of instances that were just bigger mm -hmm. than anything else. And when I was through with them, my witchcraft was forever changed. Uh, just the way I looked at the world kind of changed. And it was just a magical moment. And I just wanted to share those moments with other people, give some historical background on them, and then provide the rituals, too, so people could do them and bring them into their own practice. Because some of the things I don't feel like they're being done when, uh, as they used to be, mm -hmm. I'm not not that that's bad or anything. It's just you know cha things change, and I think a lot there are a lot more solitary practitioners today than there were 30 or 40 years ago. But like an initiation ritual, for instance, that can be kind of hard to do. And if you're just starting a coven and you don't have one written out, the idea that you're going to write an initiation ritual, I think, can be a little scary. Absolutely. But if an initiation ritual is done right everybody's really involved and people are open to it while they're going through it it can just transform your world it really can yeah well and not just the initiation rituals but you talk about drawing down the moon you talk about the great right um there what, there's a couple other men the cone, of power, is cone of power working with energy yep that's a big chapter and then there's like a historical part which starts the book yes. which is about whether or not gerald gardner was initiated into a witchcraft cult way back in 1939 and your thoughts on that are i think he probably was was that group of great antiquity i don't <laughs> think so uh they might have just been practicing for 10 years or even two years or something at that point but i think it existed but nonetheless he was initiated. yeah he was yeah. an initiate i don't think he was ever elevated though <laughs> so there are probably gardenarians who wouldn't circle with gerald <laughs> i think that's very true for a lot of <laughs> reasons <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the the I that's one of the things that when I started reading the book, I was like, oh, this really goes in in a way that I think other uh, biographies or even other histories that cover Gardner uh, that I hadn't read before. Well, there has been a lot of research into Gardner over the last twenty years, and most of it hasn't really appeared in a Llewellyn book or kind of a mass market. I could find this at Barnes and Noble type book. Yeah, and there was Ronald Hutton's Triumph of the Moon in nineteen ninety nine, which is thick, which is thick and academic, and a lot of people are just not going to sit down and read an academic book. Yeah. I think it's fabulous. Oh yeah, I, I love every, it. I, I just yep. reread parts of it this week, but. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people just aren't going to do that, and that's right. fine. And then Philip Heselton, who has been researching Gardner and mm -hmm. the original New Forest Coven for a while, his books are mostly published uh, today through Toth, which mm. is a hard imprint to find. Yeah. And they're really not for everybody, too. They're not necessarily scholarly, but you know, it's a really narrow look at something, so mm -hmm. it's not something everyone's going to read. So I wanted to take some of that information out of the shadows and sort of push it into a more easily accessible book. And I think you did that. I think you really did that, it, bringing it, like you just said, making it more accessible. You didn't dumb it down. You didn't, like, gloss over anything that uh, it, in, a, such a, in a shallow way. I think you really did the story and the history of it justice. 
of all the things in that book, that was the section I thought Llewellyn would cut. Oh, I really? was convinced just because, you know, history is not something that always sells. People like want to dive into the rituals and do the magic and things. So having to read 20,000 words about history may not be everyone's bag, so to speak. Uh, so I was really worried that they were going to X that out, but they didn't change a word of it, really. Nice. I'd written it before the book was contracted, so I got it exactly how I wanted it without anyone telling me how to do it. Nice. And they, they put it all in there. I was really excited. And one of my notes for my editor was like, I hate history, but this isn't as boring as I thought it would be. I think you delivered it in a really, really um, palatable, might not be the right word, but um, accessible um, a way that made bringing it in and sitting on the couch reading it having a cup of coffee an enjoyable experience rather than sitting at a desk and reading something a little bit more academic i love history mm -hmm. i think it's fun and i hope that my enthusiasm for it comes out in the writing i think it does yeah and a lot of people just you know it's history so you're you're putting it in the book and but you're not passionate about it i'm passionate about it because i think if we know where we come from we can better do our work as witches and I also think that it's cool to know where we where we came from because we can go look at that material and maybe draw some of it into our own practices and things. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, so speaking of practices and things, um, one of the questions I wanted to dive into was uh, the Great Right. You're doing a uh -oh. uh, the big scary one, That's the big right. fun one. Um, you're doing a talk on it here tomorrow. At the same time, I'm doing a panel, so unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to attend it, and I need to talk to programming about that, but that's not for you. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the Great Right? The Great Right, I think, is a celebration of union, is how I define it in the book. And if you read a lot of witchcraft books uh, before the 90s, they would always describe the, the Great Right as a sexual right between a man and a woman, Blech. sometimes done in front of the coven, and, you know, it's just, ew, gross. No. But I get it. It's you know, a but thing. they don't. They talk about this ritual in some yeah. of these books, and they just talk about it as well. You're going to have sex, right? Right. And Wicca is a fertility religion, and I don't believe that either. So yeah. for me, as I said, the Great Rite is a celebration of union. And if you look at the universe and you look at the world, anytime something new is created, whatever it is, it's usually because two forces are coming together in some ways. And I don't think that the Great right is about procreation in any way. I, I don't think I've ever seen a pregnant Gardnerian high priestess. So, <laughs> so if it's about fertility, we're failing really We're doing hard. a really poor job. And I know that when Ari and I, Ari's my wife, have practiced the great right, we have done it, you know, without trying to have a baby. I mean, it's been really right. important that it's there's not about fertility. There's other things that you're trying to achieve in that ritual. Yeah. So the Great Rite is a celebration of union between two forces. And anytime two people get together or three people or four people, I think that they can celebrate the Great Rite and have that connection. And I think that's really about uh, what it is. It's about that connection. So when I think of it, I look at it as strengthening a couple of different things. First of all, it's strengthening my relationship with my partner or partners, if I'm doing the great ride in truth, obviously we're you know having sex, which is a very intimate thing, but also it's strengthening my relationships with deity because I think that when you're doing it properly, you're open up to the powers that you serve and they're there with you. They're not like voyagers or something or trying to creepily enjoy your sex, but 
if you have relationships with deity, I, I feel like part of that is they share your life with them and you share your life. W- they share, what is it? We share our lives with them and then they share their lives with us or whatever gods have. I also think we connect into nature. We look at the universe, you know, giant clouds of gas come together and then stars and planets are born. So when we join in union with someone, we are also experiencing that sort of universal thing on a much more micro versus a macro level. Uh, So it's about all those things, celebrating the earth, celebrating our relationships with people, with deities, uh, with higher powers. Yeah, you're really exploring and engaging with all of those different levels. Very much so. I remember the first night that I ever really felt like I truly had experienced the Great Rite, and it was a summer solstice on a beautiful June night. This was in Michigan, and you, you know, you're in Minnesota, so you know that the sun doesn't set until like after 10 o'clock, oh, yeah. right? It's, it's the best. It's, it's beautiful, yeah. and we were out in the country, and we'd been to a bad ritual that night, and I looked at Ari, and I said, do you want to go do our own ritual somewhere? And we grabbed our books of shadows, and we read charges of the goddess and god to one another, and then we were on this hill, and there's the universe in front of you, and you can see it, and then there's the ground and the earth beneath you, and I felt like the deities that we invoked were there with us, and then we you know, began to take off our clothes and do what we do, and all of those things just sort of came together at once, nice. and to me, that's the great right. Also, though, we went to the top of the hill, and we thought we were out of view of our friends and we put on a nope. show nice yeah yeah i hope you charged <laughs> <laughs> we should have probably should have uh no that 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 sounds like very much the embodiment of the lover's card from the tarot you do have that union between the two individuals but there's also that uh, you know some type of like an angel or an, a spirit above the two really kind of intersecting or blessing that union so yeah it sounds incredibly powerful so thank you for sharing that with me well it's a part of the workshops yeah i love opening with the story and then you know telling people that everyone saw us when we got done usually gets a couple laughs (laughs) yeah i can see if people are paying attention or not when i reveal (laughs) that part uh but you know the book talks a lot about that the book also talks about the great right in token which you know is especially in a lot of wiccan rituals the cup and the knife you know, some people really don't like the cup and the knife, and I offer alternatives to the cup and the knife, but I also grew up doing the cup and the knife, so I kind of like it. But when we celebrate the great rite in token, we're celebrating sort of the fertility of the earth and that we have things and that as much as we try to abuse the planet, there's still probably cakes and ale at the end of the ritual and things. <laughs> and I think that's worth celebrating, especially in our current circumstances. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, you know, seeing that celebration and bringing that outside of the ritual, having that transformative experience and bring having it transform your life. So when you're walking around Monday through Friday, you're carrying that, for lack of a better word, energy within you and acting it out um, and having that experience really transform your choices. I will say, though, in the last five years, especially, I think that we have begun to pay more attention uh, to gender being fluid yes and i think if you look at witchcraft in the 50s 60s 70s 80s even the 90s that really wasn't something that was expressed in everything so i'm looking at my own rights and sometimes seeing them transform before our eyes because we don't want to ever 
exclude someone or make someone feel excluded from the work that we do. Uh, because I think witchcraft, and I'm definitely a Wiccan witch. Nice. I think it's for everybody. Yeah. And when I read the, when I hear those things about fertility religion, and you know, you this is this apome is a penis, and this cup is a giant barf. It's it's a cup. Yeah. Yeah. And these are all tools. They're tools, and I I want people to feel comfortable in the in the circle, and I want them to feel like they're included in the circle. So, I mean, we've watched our language change a lot in the last couple of years. I think it's all for the better. Yeah, I definitely see I think that. we're really ahead of the curve in the pagan community. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that a lot more uh, Wiccan-based rituals are are examining specifically that ritual, uh, you know, the cup and the knife, and really taking it outside of this, this is the god, and this is the goddess, and this is a female body, this is a male body, and really bringing it into a, a level of metaphor and allowing more people, more diversity in, uh, which is really great. Well, the universe wasn't born by penises and vaginas. So to look right. at <laughs> creation as only that is yeah. really short-sighted. It's pretty limited. And I didn't mean to imply that Wiccans are only doing this. I meant the pagan community yeah. as a whole yeah. is really ahead of the curve, I think, especially in uh, trans acceptance and trans rights. Yeah. And it makes me feel really good. I mean, we still have issues, but we, I think we try really hard to get things right. I think so, too. I think there's always a lot of uh, dialogue. Sometimes that dialogue is very pointed and not exactly constructive. But, you know, sometimes you do have to have the loud voice. That means everyone else gets to be aware and, you know, the organizers and the presenters and stuff get it. At different. least we're having the conversations. Mm -hmm. And if you look at a lot of other faith communities, they're not having the conversations at all. No. Or they're actively shutting them down. Exactly. Yeah. I was just so saddened by the Methodists a few weeks ago. I was ago. just going to say. I mean, I know. grew up a Methodist, and I, I always thought of it as a pretty accepting place. And there have been a lot of LGBTQ people involved in the Methodist church. And to have gay marriage uh, taken away yeah. in the Methodist church, and like when you looked at the newspaper, not newspaper, but online articles, and you just saw the pain and the sadness on yeah. people's faces. I have a, a friend who works in the Methodist church and she's on different boards and stuff and she's always fought for the LGBT rights in the in that faith community and er, you know, she's just like another setback, another setback that you know keeps showing up, keeps doing the work and I you know not to toot the pagan horn, <laughs> but I think I think that when we do have an earth-based religion and see the the, the vast majority of diversity that is amongst you know the same kind of flower that you know even that you see in an ecosystem. I think we're reflecting that in our communities by bringing in the people and the language and the rituals and um, so much. Yes. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I just thought we could. Let me look. Well, speaking of gods and god uh, goddesses and stuff, you uh, have a book coming out a couple years from now that I'm very excited. <laughs> you have several books. Oh, uh, I'm yeah, so tired of writing. Yeah, but your books are good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you came up with Transformative Witchcraft this year, which everyone please pick up a copy. It's fantastic. Um, you've got a couple more coming out in the next several years. Yeah, there's another one coming out later this year, which oh, wow. is called The Witch's Wheel of the Year. Rituals for circles, solitaries, and covens. So there are three rituals for every Sabbath. One for solitaries, one for covens, small groups, and then one for what I call circles, which means large groups. Nice. And so all the rituals are obviously different 
depending on the circumstances, and it goes over why the ritual should be different depending on the circumstances. I think one of the big differences between what we do when we're leading ritual versus, let's say, a Methodist who had to go to school for years and years, probably has to have a master's degree oh, yeah. uh, to run a service. We just kind of get thrown out there, mm-hmm. and we just sort of learn by doing. And, I mean, there are some groups who do clergy training, like Circle and there's Cherry Hill Seminary, but most people don't get to do that. So this book is to try to help people do ritual and make sure it's effective no matter what circumstances they're in. Then there's some information about each of the Sabbaths and a little history about the development of the Sabbaths and kind of what I call like the basic parts of ritual. It's a very, very long book. Nice. Yeah, and, uh, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. I thought it was terrible when I was done with it, but I was rereading it the other day and I was like, oh, this isn't really that bad. Yeah. And so I'm re- really thrilled about that. And then the year after that, um, probably what, 20, that'll be, this will be 2021, I think. Shoot. Oh, maybe it'll be late 2020. I, like the it's like a year after you turn in a book is when it gets published. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's due in in this April, so it'll be next summer, 2020. The Llewellyn's Little Book of Yule, which is sort of like my Yuletide Cute. Christmas book. It's not really for pagans. It's for anybody who's magical. So there's little exercises. Mickey Mueller wrote The Little Book of Halloween for Llewellyn, yep, yep. and it was really fun. So it'll be in that sort of vein. And then after that, which will probably be – late 2020, early 2021, is The Horned God of the Witches, which I feel like a higher power is telling me I need to write and get done properly. Nice. nice. So that that will be really fun, and I want to look at sort of the history of horned gods, uh, but taking a specific look at Pan, Kernonos in particular, and sort of how different witchcraft traditions look at the horned one and how that interpretation sort of arose. That's and there'll be awesome. rituals and stuff for the, the horned one in there, too. That is awesome. I have a very uh, special place in my body and in my heart and in my being uh, for Pan. It's a, he's been a very transformative deity, so I can't even tell you how excited I am to be able to get my hands on that one. I'm a longtime Panhead, and he was like the first deity I ever really felt connected to in a really, really strong way. Yeah. And I think it's sort of funny uh, because I think a lot of the language that we use for the horn god comes from our interpretations of Pan. Mm-hmm. But if you look at pictures of the horn god, it's more of an idealized Kernonos figure. Yes. So it's sort of like we've jammed these two figures together. And they're really, really different. They figures. are. Oh, and then at the end of this year, 2019, <laughs> um, we're releasing... Uh, the Book of Kernonos, which oh. is a devotional anthology that I'm editing with John Beckett and Gwyn Raven, that's coming out through ADF Publishing. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So there's so many projects. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> that's why I'm tired of writing. So <laughs> I just want to not write. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's perfect, though. That sounds like you've got a, a, a quite a a breadth of knowledge and practice and uh, a real gift to the the pagan community with these books coming out. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I owe everything in my life to the pagan community. It's where I met Ari. It's where I've met like almost all of my best friends. I mean, I feel like the pagan community has given me so very, very much over the last 25 years. And I want to write things that give back to the pagan community that hopefully 
in 20 or 30 years are still useful to people. I I really think so. I definitely think so. I think uh you know especially with this the new book um being able to take that and seeing so many different ways to perform the different big rituals that don't involve a big coven or you know or a specific you know tradition or whatever anyone in a pagan path uh working with whatever uh, amount of people or just yourself can really engage with these these powerful rituals that are talked about a lot but probably seldom done because you feel like you need to have the big the coven there mm-hmm. with the drums and the cakes and the altars and the candles and the da, 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 da. but really what you're looking for is that that expansive moment of transformation I know that when I was reading witchcraft books when I was starting, it would tell you to do things, and then it wouldn't tell you how to do those things. Yeah. It would just say, build the cone of power, and then it would move on. And I remember talking to Ari about that once, and I was like, are we ever going to build the cone of power in ritual? And she's like, we do it all the time. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> but you know, it's not something that we ever talk about doing. It's just something that people do. Which is part of the reason I wrote Transformative Witchcraft, because it's the same thing with drawing down the moon. It's like, and now draw down the goddess and say these words, but nobody tells you how to do that. And I'm not even sure you can really be told, but it would be nice to at least get some pointers and some Mm -hmm. hints. Well, you know, there's the book, Drawing Down the Moon by Margaret Adler. Um, It doesn't tell you anything anything about about it. It's a a fantastic resource. Yeah, it's a great (laughs) like look at paganism in the 70s. And it doesn't, but it doesn't tell you. But it what doesn't the title tell you. Is. Yeah. yeah, clearly an important enough ritual in the community and in the the religion, whatever, to name a fantastic and important book about it. Mm-hmm. But to do it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember for me, like watching a, a priestess draw down the moon for the first time was one of the most amazing events of my life. I mean, that was one of those transformative moments. And things were never the same again in my practice. And I always wanted to not relive that moment, but have that sort of experience again. Mm -hmm. And I've been lucky enough to do so. But it's not something that happens every time. And it's precious. And you really cherish it when it's real. And this person that you've known your whole life or half your life or whatever changes before your eyes. And people are like, well, that, you know, there are no deities. and That's not real. And I'm like, dude. (laughs) When you see it. And I mean, I have a, uh, I do have a, uh, I have a story that a lot of my friends know about my experience with Han and a individual that I was with. When you see them embody that deity, how it, it, there's there's no way it isn't real. And there is, you know, when you're on the floor crying because you you're in this presence of this thing that is so incomprehensible. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've been with Ari for over 20 years now congratulations and you know there are times when we're doing these rituals and i just cry because it's just so beautiful and powerful to hear her voice change and the cadence of her words change to look into her eyes and see something that's not her and know that i'm walking up into the presence of the Mm -hmm. goddess and the woman i love's body i mean it's just it's mind-blowing and such an extension of her and just all the layers are I just, there. I just re- we did a big Samhain ritual in 2012 in Santa Cruz, California, and we did it in a Masonic temple. Cool. And it, it was really <laughs> a cool. It was like one of the best rituals we've ever done. It was amazing. Um, but at the point of it was, 
you know, we were going to draw down the goddess and then we were going to sort of draw down the god because we wanted to open a portal to the Summerlands, but we needed her to help facilitate him being here. And so she calls me to, to do the, the god part and I'm walking up to her and I just could tell, you know, it wasn't my wife at all anymore. And I like had tears running down my mm-hmm. face. Hundred people in a, in a ritual, just so powerful. Just thinking about it, it just gives me shivers. Yeah, it's just one of those times. And so, yeah, it's this important ritual, and I hope people get a chance to do it and bring it into their own rites. And I hope that I explain it and present it in a way that helps people with that. Yeah, I really think you did. I think you gave um, a, a a real a, a text of allowing people to get those tools in a in an accessible way that I don't think I've seen done quite as um, accessible. I know that Janet Farrar and Gavin Bone released a book basically just about drawing down the moon about mm-hmm. uh, po- some people call it possession. That to me, that just always sounds wrong because possession has been sort of co-opted by Christians. And when somebody's possessed, it's not a willing sacrifice of right. your consciousness. And I think when we draw down the moon, it's a willing thing. Mm-hmm. We're asking deities to come in. So I think possession is a bad word. But anyways, I know they wrote a book specifically about it, and I had to ask Janet for a couple of things while I was writing Transformative Witchcraft, and she's like, have you read our book yet? And I'm like, <laughs> I can't, because then I might you know, yeah. accidentally steal things from it. You don't want to plagiarize yeah. or copy or repeat. That's tough. That's one of the things sometimes with books. like Maybe you don't go to the newest source or something because you don't want to be influenced and you don't want to steal someone's work. Yeah, you want to draw from your own experience and from you know what has been done a way whiles back yeah, yeah. now i can read her book though I think yeah i'm safe <laughs> now you're safe <laughs> yeah yeah i think and that, that is an interesting thing that you bring up about uh, ritual possession um i think it's it, it, uh, a facet of paganism in all of its forms that you do see a lot of that you don't see in a lot of other religions that is very transformative and special one of the things about i think most pagan religions or spiritualities for a lot of people now religions kind of have a bad word they i know a lot of people try to avoid it yeah because it, it kind of carries its own baggage yeah but i think for us one of the great things about paganism though is it offers this experience that you can step into and you're not uh, separated from the experience you're a part of the experience it's a very interactive way of doing ritual you know talk about the methodists again you go <laughs> and you sit in a pew and someone speaks to you maybe you do some call and response and then you sing a hymn uh, but in druid circles and in, in witch circles everybody's actively involved in what's happening mm-hmm. it's a participatory celebration of things participatory participatory spirituality so many syllables there you're doing great <laughs> yeah and i I, th- I think that's what really makes it different and we offer that experience with the divine here are the tools that you can have this experience and you don't have to sit on the sidelines and you don't have to have someone else sort of tell you what deity said or how deity interacts with other people you can have that experience yeah. yourself and I think there's real power there. And I look at most of the pagan traditions, and it's always there, basically, to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether whether you're there with a drum or whether you're there as a dancer or whether you're there as you know the high priest or priestess or whatever your role is, you are integral in making that a real experience, not for yourself, but for the others that are there. If you're not there and you're supposed to be a drummer, 
they're missing that piece. You got to be there. Well, that and too, and I think ritual is about connecting mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, when we do ritual, sometimes we're trying to connect with the wheel of the year mm-hmm. or the, the season. Sometimes we're just trying to connect with the powers of the earth. Maybe we're trying to connect with our ancestors or deity. And sometimes we're just trying to connect with each other in yeah. our community. And when a ritual has that sense of connection, then everybody's involved and feels those things. It brings us closer together, and I think it strengthens what we do. And it makes for a meaningful ritual. When you feel like you've made that connection to whatever it is in ritual, those are the rituals that really stay with you. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, actively working on building a ritual with the Left Hand Path community in Minnesota right now. And we're trying to make it as... Um, sensuous and as connective as possible so a big part of it is you know having an altar filled with delicious foods and juices and wine if you drink alcohol and um, you know uh, organic nice like lotions so you can give each other hand massages and back massages and just make it a very connective experience in this ritual setting in this uh, um, you know this uh, different mind um, state, uh, which I think helps bring co- people to come together on a m- different level than just sitting around having dinner or having a coffee, uh, makes a stronger community and a, a healthier community. Well, when we indulge all of our senses too, I think it makes ritual better. I mean, yeah. there's a reason that we burn incense, and it's not just to, cl- to clean the room, yeah. it's also to kind of bring yourself into an awareness of being in ritual and being in a sacred space. And we don't really think of it that way. But I know in our coven, we have like a coven incense blend. Nice. And as soon as I smell that, I'm boom, I'm right there. Or the moment we begin our opening chant, you know, I'm right there. Or, you know, when we're passing around a cup and welcoming everyone into ritual and having just a little bit to drink, uh, you know, your physical senses are being indulged, your sense of smell, your, your sense of hearing. You know, you look at you look around the ritual and you see the flickering candlelight and the faces. I mean, that's indulging our sense of sight. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and the more of those things that we bring into ritual space, the better the rituals are. Yeah. So you leave feeling even more embodied, even more connected. Yep. Yeah, it's fantastic. And then there's that energy, like that between everybody, and you can just feel that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's very palpable. Yeah, which is really great. Our, what is it? The temperature in our ritual room raises like 20 or 30 degrees after the surface wow. cast. Not 30. <laughs> no. 20? It's about 20, though. It gets hot in there. <laughs> and then when the moment the circle is released, it just starts to come down yeah. really fast. But yeah. before we open the door. Yeah, it's 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 very, it's it's so interesting that just everything gets affected on every level, which is, I mean, magic. If you think about it, <laughs> that is magic. Yeah. Transformative stuff. Yeah. And I, I think as a Wiccan witch, what I practice is a magical religion in a lot of ways. I don't like nature religion. I don't like, I mean, I love nature. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> you hear that, everyone? He hates nature. Yeah, I do. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but you hear people say fertility religion and yeah. nature religion, but I look at it the most and I feel like it's a magical religion because we use magic in everything that we do. When a deity comes into the circle, I think that's magical. Casting a circle feels magical. Yeah. Calling the quarters and knowing that these four powers are here and around the circle, to me, that's magical. And then raising energy for purposes and needs, definitely very magical. And then sort of the coming down with the cakes and ale and feeling that, to me, that's also magical. So, yeah. That's the next, next, next book. <laughs> 
Wiccan witchcraft a magical religion, I think. Like, then I'm done. I'm never going to write another book. <laughs> He's done. Then I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> going to retirement. Retire at 50. Perfect. He's done. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for coming here today. I'm very appreciative for sitting in this Oh, it feels space. great. Thank you again so much. It's, it's a pleasure. Been, yeah, it's really very fun. nice. Thank you. <laughs>